Well, good morning, everybody. I hope you guys are doing well. I hope you're, uh, well, I hope you're as rested as I am. I don't know if that's possible if you didn't take a vacation, but uh, we had an enjoyable time, and I wanted to personally thank you again for, uh, for giving us the opportunity that we had to not only take time off, but also to celebrate uh, 20 years of, of uh, wedded bliss, as they say, right? So we, uh, we enjoyed our time. It's very interesting, though, uh, how different it is for us now in life because we were three days in, and I was ready to come home and see my girls. So that was a really big challenge. So here's what I'm going to ask of you next time. If you ever want to do it again, just <laughs> throw in a little bit more so I can fly four girls out there. Anyway, okay. So, you know, small ask. That's all I'm, that's all I'm asking. Well, guys, today we're going we're gonna to kind of wrap up. I, I want to put a little bit of a bow on this, um, this topic of discipleship. And I don't mean to put a bow on it and then just kind of put it on a shelf somewhere. I hope to, uh, to kind of give you guys a, a blueprint, a framework for what we're trying to accomplish as a church, which is a church that is a, a collection of disciples who want to make other disciples. That's what we've been about since the beginning of our church, and, and it is something that takes a long time to do. It's not something where you can wave a magic wand and poof, you've got a disciple. Um, It is something that honestly takes a lifetime, and that is one of the challenges that I think we face in the modern church, especially in a church where, uh, or a culture, where we believe in instant gratification. We think that you're just going to come, you're going to say, I do to Jesus, and then boom, you look like him. And I'm here to tell you, you don't. Anyway, right? So, so it's, it's, a, it's a lifetime journey, and it's something that we really need to understand. So in order uh, to understand discipleship and under, to understand what it means to be a disciple, I think we have to understand the meaning of a term. I think this is true for everything in life. Um, otherwise, you don't really know what you're signing up for. You don't know what you're aiming for. Think about it. As kids... We were asked the question, what do you want to be when you grow up, right? How many of you were asked that question, what do you want to be when you grow up? How many of you answered you wanted to be an astronaut or something crazy like that, right? So, so we might say, yeah, we might say I want to be an astronaut or a firefighter or something like this. Um, but the, the challenge came when we got older. <laughs> the challenge came when we got older and we started to realize actually what went into the thing we said we wanted to be. We're like, hey, I want to be an astronaut. And they're like, well, you're going to need to know a lot about physics, a lot about math, a lot about this and this. And we're like, oh, never mind. I'd like to go ahead and be a carpenter, right? You know, as if you don't need math that way. But, but the point is, is that once we find out what it entails, once we find out what it really means, all of a sudden it begins to change our perspective on what we're wanting to do. And I can couch that in Christianese as well for you and parallel it with discipleship and say, This is the same thing that we find out when we start to weigh the cost of discipleship, right? What does it cost to be a disciple? Well, really what we're saying is what does it mean to be a disciple? What does it entail to be a disciple? I've quoted this a thousand times. I love the person that he was. Uh, I love the thinker that he was. And I'll continue to quote his his wisdom uh, throughout my life. And that is G.K. Chesterton. He said that, uh, it rightly said that Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. 
Why has it been found difficult? Because people engage with the true cost. People engage with the true meaning of it. People engage with what it, lo- what it means to look like Jesus. And as soon as that happens, we're like, uh, no, I don't think I want to be an astronaut anymore, right? We, we change our mind about this. This is the result, in my opinion, of when people are not taught what discipleship is prior to being asked to become one. So this is a model in, uh, in the modern church, and the model is, would you like to, now hear me very clearly, church, would you like to come to my church? Coming to this church does not a disciple make, right? Uh, going to any church doesn't mean you're going to become a disciple. But we have, we have believed this. We've believed that that is what being a disciple is. A couple of key checkboxes. I attend church. I, I give a little bit of money and I do this and this and this. And I slap a Jesus bumper sticker on my car or something like this. Therefore, I'm a disciple. But that's not exactly correct. Okay, And so when you don't know what it means to be a disciple or when that's what you've been taught, uh, it, it might be easy to sign up. But then when somebody says, this is what it's going to look like, this is what it means to truly follow Jesus, all of a sudden you change your mind about this. So this is something that I think about a lot. I think that there are a lot of judgments about models of discipleship, and I'll, I'll go into details on that today. But I think there's a lot of judgments on models of discipleship that, uh, that come from an ignorance about true biblical discipleship. So let me give you an example, and we'll talk more about it as I go. Um, if you were told that checking those boxes was what makes a disciple, you attend church, you give a little bit of your money, and maybe you, you help out at the local food bank every once in a while, if that's what it means to be a disciple, you will look at other people who say, no, it actually means dying to yourself. It actually means giving everything that you have, mind, body, soul, whatever it is that we want to say. It means giving everything to Jesus and, and honoring him with your life in every aspect. The, the judgment that you're going to come to is, that's a bit harsh. The judgment you're going to come to is, that's a bit too stuffy or serious. And here's the problem. I'm sorry you were lied to when it came to attending church and becoming a disciple. But, it, but being a disciple is everything that I mentioned just a second ago. It is literally laying down one's life and saying, I want to follow Jesus. Now, what that means is a very complicated thing to define. What that means requires a whole lot of nuance. And I, and I don't think we want to give time to that at, at, you know, inside, of our, inside of our Christian walk or inside of our church t- time. I think we want to just skip past it and let everybody assume things. But that's not a good thing, okay? It means laying down our lives, and that must be defined. It means uh, paying a cost, and that must be defined. It means knowing what it is and definitely what it isn't, okay? So there's a lot of judgment that goes for other models of discipleship, including a judgment that says, you guys are all stuffy Christians that actually want to look like Jesus. That's not, that's too much. It's not too much. It's actually the bare minimum of what God has called us to do. In, in this life, right? So this is why the past few devotion cycles, 
have been focused as they were on really discovering a, a, a core definition or an understanding of what discipleship is. Dylan likes to say this to me. Jacob knows this of me very well. Uh, Dylan likes to say, you're up to something with this. I know it. Yes, I'm always up to something, and you should know it as well. I bought a mug in Colorado that said, keep talking, I'm diagnosing you. It's perfect, okay? So this is, this is, very, this is very true, and it's definitely who Nathan is. But there's always an objective. There's always a goal that I'm, that I'm after. And the goal is, if you want people to truly become deacons, if you want them to look like what a biblical deacon looks like, they need to be able to define the term. They don't need to listen to what Nathan's opinion is on the subject. They don't need to, they don't need to try to uh, fall in line with a church model. What they need to do is they need to dig into the scripture and they need to fight for the actual definition. They need to wrestle with what it looks like to truly be a deacon. Uh, something was said in the, in the Q&A last week that I, I just absolutely love. I, I believe that Dylan said it the week before uh, at, at some point. But um, this idea, oh, it was in our group, I think, on Tuesday night. But, but the, idea of, um, the idea of being a disciple, the idea of, of coming to Jesus and uh, coming to uh, Christ and looking exactly like Jesus, following him in every way is... It's not only the basis that I'm, I'm giving a really bad definite or bad sum up of, of his, ver, his words, but it's, it's looking exactly like Jesus and it's looking exactly like Jesus in every aspect of your life. It's, it's giving, how did he say it? It's giving, um, it's giving not only allegiance, he didn't use that word, it's not just giving allegiance, but it's giving, it's giving attitude and it's giving heart to, to every aspect of what it looks like. But you have to know what that looks like, and that's Jesus who defines it. So I'll go further into that, and sorry, Dylan, for hacking up your idea. Anyway, so, so the meaning of discipleship, that's what we've been talking about for the past few cycles, and everybody needs to know how to define that in order to be one, Okay? I think a lot of people in the church make it 40, 50 years, and they never learn the definition. And they just look and say, I think I'm a disciple, or I've given it my best, and do I think God has grace in that? Absolutely, I think God has grace in that. I think God is always working within the, the way we're taught, or maybe the lack of our teaching. But nonetheless, we really do need to figure this out. And so all of the guys and gal that, that want to do this, I look at it and say, okay, let's define discipleship. But let's do this in a way that they don't feel like they're just becoming dictionaries, okay? Or in a way that they don't just go to a dictionary to find out the answer. So what I had them do was answer basic questions, right? The meaning of uh, biblical discipleship. What does that mean? Not what does Nathan say it is. What is the biblical meaning of discipleship? I, I said something this past week uh, on Facebook, and it's really important for everybody in this room to get it. It's important for everybody who knows me to get it. But uh, I, I said, whatever you learn, whatever you learn, ask questions if you have them. Okay? Whatever you learn, ask questions if you have them. I have found that most people, I know this might sound like a shocker to some, most of you know me, uh, yes, including myself, most people who teach have not thought everything they say through fully. Now, what I mean by that and what I don't mean is really important. I don't mean that I come up here unprepared. 
Some people do that. Drives me mad, right? Uh, this, this is Pentecostal preachers, right? Well, the Lord changed my opinion today, so I'm just going to wing it today. No, that's nonsense, right? They, they, people not having everything thought through that they say is something like, I am not knowledgeable of all things. I can't know everything that there is to know, which means I haven't thought through certain perspectives. How many of you have thought through every perspective in the world? Yeah, exactly, right? And so no preacher has done that either, right? We've never thought through every perspective. And so what is necessary is for questions to come because questions help everybody grow. Questions help me grow. Questions help me grow in ways that say, oh gosh, I didn't, I didn't actually think about that. With discipleship, we need to ask this question. What does discipleship look like if you're an introvert? You might not think that matters. It deeply matters. What does discipleship look like if you're a type A personality and you're driven? It's going to mean something very different than if you're just a follower. You're just going to walk after everything. But nonetheless, both have to follow Jesus. Driven, leader, or follower. Everyone's following, okay, in some capacity. But what does that look like? And so this is what it means to think things fully through. And this is where your questions and this is where people's pushback and ideas have to be a part of discipleship. We used to live in a world where there was a conversation going between people all the time. And the more and more we dive down the rabbit hole of social media where everything is a billboard where we basically just say crap to people and we expect them to take it, the conversations just shut down. Well, likewise, discipleship shuts down because there's no conversation. What we do instead, instead of discipleship, is we make, we make cookies, right? We've got a nice little cookie cutter. That it looks like the shape of Nathan. I'm sorry already, right? <laughs> anyway, right? It's the shape of Nathan, and we just stamp that out. Well, that's not what it means to make a disciple. Biblical discipleship looks something different. And so I asked everybody, I want them to define the meaning of biblical discipleship. And then we went on. We talked about the meaning of come and follow me. How many of you know that Jesus says that? Come and follow me. How many of you know that that's not just contextual, historical uh, ask? That's true of you too. He's asked you to come and follow him. But we have to know what that means because obviously it doesn't mean go trip, uh, traipsing around Galilee anymore, right? We're, we don't need to be there, but we do need to be here following after Jesus. So what does that mean? And what does following after Jesus look like for the business owner? What does following after Jesus look like for the mom? What does following Jesus look like for a son or a daughter? What does it look like? And this is where we have to think in a much broader way. What does it mean when Jesus says that we are to deny ourselves? Are we going to jump into this like really rigid, crazy model where we, where we effectively say denying ourselves is this kind of um, asceticism where we kind of beat ourselves and we hate our flesh and we don't like anything about this real world and we're just living so spiritually minded, we're of no earthly good? Is that what it is? I hope not. Because that's bunk, okay? What we're supposed to be doing is denying ourselves that says, my desire is to do this, but God says no. My desire is to do this, but I know that this is not good for everyone around me. That's a challenge. Because all I want to live for is me, 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 right? It's, it's, you know how easy it is to live for me? 
I mean, when you're me. <laughs> it's, it's not, don't ask my daughters that question, right? So, but it's very easy to live for me when you're me. It's the same is true for you. What does it mean? And, and we had this through the devotional series, and I want you to go back, and I want you to listen to everybody's devotions because they all gave really amazing insight, insights to these questions. What does it mean to take up your cross? What does that actually mean? I don't have a cross. I don't want you to give me one either, Bill, right? But, but what does it mean to take up my cross? What does it mean to lose one's life so that I might save it? That sounds like nonsense and gobbledygook to most people in the world, right? What does it mean to hate your father and mother and your, your wife and your children and follow after Jesus? What does that mean? Did, did Jesus, what, what's happening here? Is he contradicting himself? Well, we need to know the meaning of it. And, and why this matters is because the, the fact that the Lord of glory would say something that needs to be, and I know this is going to ruffle some people's minds, the fact that the Lord of glory has to say says some things that has to be decoded means that there's a good chance your understanding of discipleship needs to be decoded, Right? Your way of thinking following Jesus needs to be decoded a little bit better. I'll give you an example of that when it comes to marriage in just a second. But so we take up our cross. We, we lose our life to save it. We hate our father and mother and, and love our heavenly father. Hating one's own life. What the heck does that mean? I kind of like my life. Do I need to just drop everything? Gaining the world but losing one's soul. What is the definition of all of this. Understanding the nuances changes the meaning of discipleship and therefore makes you either a real disciple or maybe somebody who's just believing weird stuff. Okay? This is very, very important. So we then went on to subjects like the knowledge of God and discipleship, the knowledge of self-discipline, obedience. What does it mean to abide in Christ? What does discipleship have to say about prayer? What does a disciple, how does a disciple pray? Uh, what, is it, what is mentoring? Same thing as discipleship, just a decoded word in our day, right? What is, what is a disciple's church involvement? What does evangelism look like? What is the inner life? And how, what are we supposed to do with it? The spiritual gifts, where do they apply in life? Serving, spiritual attitudes, character, stewardship. Without the understanding of these things, you have no idea what I'm inviting you to do, Right? Say, hey, come follow after Jesus. You're gonna, it's going to change your attitude, and you're going to look more like Jesus. And, and then you look at me and you say, okay, what does Jesus say and do? What's his attitude towards things? And I'm like, I don't know. It's just a phrase I learned. Come and follow after Jesus and have his attitude. That doesn't help you, right? And it doesn't help anybody who's a deacon or a deacon in training or an elder or an elder in training. It doesn't help us if we don't actually define the terms. So what we have to do is we have to work through this. And then by that, we can see a biblical blueprint that we're walking people into, inviting people to. And we can lose the opinions and the ideas and the goofy stuff. We can drop all that stuff and we can just go after what God has called us to do. But even in doing that, it requires nuance. 
It requires nuance. Let me give you my example on marriage. I've told you that the church has taught for a very long time this kind of absurd uh, priority list where it's like you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Interpretation, because we have to interpret and generate meaning out of everything. God must be first and everything else comes second, right? How many of you believe that or have been taught that most of your life, right? God is first, everybody else is second. But here's the challenge. Can you define for me what it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? Can you define that? I mean, for real, can you define it? Because if you're going to come back to me and say, well, what it, what it means is that I do, <laughs> I'm going to say, I don't know what you just said. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. I do. You do what? You do what? See, God says all this in the scripture, and he says, you want to know what it looks like to love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? Here's what it looks like. Husbands, love your wives. You want to know what it means to love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength? Wives, respect your husbands. Now, there's context to all of that, and I wish I had the time to blow that up and get into it. But what I am pushing for is that there is so much to what it means to love the Lord our God with all our heart. There can't be a priority list. You can't say God, everything else, because then it gets really tricky. Who comes next? Is it our spouse or our kids? And what happens when you don't like your spouse? Right? But you love those kids, right? You're like... Yeah, honey, we got to talk, <laughs> right? Like, what does, that, what does that mean? Where do your parents fall into this? Sorry, guys, you're out. You never made the list. That's just nonsense. Instead of a crazy hierarchy that doesn't make any sense logically, what we then have to embrace is a model that says, what does it mean to love the Lord our God? It means that we walk out a life that looks exactly like King Jesus. And how did King Jesus love other people? Enough to lay down his life for them, right? Enough to hang on a cross for you and I well before we ever admitted we did anything wrong. And quite honestly, he died on a cross for everybody who still hasn't admitted they've done everything wrong. You want to love like that? Because unless you love like that, you're not loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Well, crap. That's a whole lot to ask, Nathan. Yeah, because the definition of discipleship that says I attend church, I give a little bit of money, and I hang around Christians is not the point. Should you do those things? Sure, right? Sure. I mean, if the Christians are cool, but right? But, but the idea is you should do these things, right? You should be careful on what this looks like. But you are walking after God, and this hierarchy has messed everything up because now we actually have no logical way forward. None of our Christian life actually makes sense. So we don't, we don't do anything. We actually replaced uh, devotion to God quite like the Pharisees did in the New Testament when they were dedicating their gifts to God but not taking care of their parents. The Scripture has a problem with this. Why? Because to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength is not to dedicate everything to God, but it is to use these things by, you know, to be the hands and feet of God and to help those around you, to love your neighbor as yourself. That is, to be honest, that to a culture that believes discipleship means I attend a church is revolutionary thinking. 
and it should not be revolutionary thinking. Like, this is like Bible 101, guys, okay? This is basic stuff. So last week, what we did was we, we did this Q&A, and I thought everybody did a tremendous job. I was very happy, and, and I think Barney controlled Mark well, so I thought that was really good. Anyway, <laughs> I'm teasing completely, but... But I think, it was, I think it was an amazing thing, and I wanted to just kind of touch on a couple of things. The first question that we asked was based on Matthew 15, 7 through 9. You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. And I asked the question, Jesus contrasts uh, talk and heart, right? Action and uh, the motivation of things. Therefore, the engine of our actions is some inner life. That's what we've been discipling. And then I ask the question, why is this so important to worship? This is back to a right definition of discipleship. Disciples worship God. But what does worship mean to you? Is it the 20 minutes at the beginning of the church service? As Adam indicated, this can't be the case. If it is just or merely this, then we have a very big problem. You see, worship is also what is meant by, or worship is also the name given to things like, love your neighbor as yourself. Do you know that? When you serve in the soup kitchen, when you serve in Mercy Works, when you help your neighbor because they're, they're stranded or they're struggling, what you're doing is worshiping God. Do you understand this? The story of the Good Samaritan. What is happening with that Good Samaritan is that he is honoring God with everything he has in the most real and practical way possible. Should you sing songs to God? Sure you should, but here's why. Because the natural outflow of the human mind, the human emotion set, and all of this is to actually express love and devotion through this weird thing called music. It's just what we do. We paint pictures because we love things. We, we sing songs because we honor things. That's what we do. That's why you worship. But listen to me. Everything else has to be there. You have to do, you have to love people, you have to care for people. This is what worship is. And by the way, worship is what a disciple does. So if you want to be a disciple, we have to understand worship, don't we? And where does that worship come from? Just like anything, everything starts in the heart, right? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. By the way, it's out of the abundance of the heart that people sing songs too, guys. And so when you listen to these songs that are filled with anger and rage, what do you think is in that heart? This is not rocket science, okay? This does not require a degree to figure this out. It's amazing what happens when we look at God's word and we go, wow, this is the truth. So it comes out of our heart. And it goes into our life, and we talk about things, we sing about things, we do all this different stuff. And God is concerned with your heart, but this is where nuance matters. This is where nuance matters. How many of you know that Jesus says things like, if you've looked at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery, and if you've hated your brother in your heart, you've already committed murder? How many of you know that that's the case? How many of you know that if you hold to that in a strict, absurd way, James makes no sense? which says that if you continue to think on such things, it gives birth to sin, and then sin kills you, okay? 
So hold on a second. Which is which? Is Jesus the one that's right who says, if you've just looked at somebody with anger, you're already a murderer? It's not what Jesus is saying. I know, contrary to your personal belief. It's not what Jesus is saying. But if you have ever murdered anyone, it started somewhere. I'm telling you. If you've ever done anything wrong, it started somewhere. Otherwise, we got to go, which is right, James or Jesus? I'm going to go with Lord and not his brother. Okay? But I don't think either is wrong. I think they both actually understood what was going on. Right? Otherwise, we have a deep problem. We have a, a profoundly deep problem. How many of you have ever gotten really angry? How many of you have ever even thought, I wish that person wasn't alive anymore? So let me ask you a question. Let's just be honest. Murderers go to jail in our world. Should we put you in jail? And Jesus said you're a murderer. Jesus said you're a murderer. No, we shouldn't. Because everybody in this room, whether you raised your hand or not, has already done it. We'd all be in jail and nobody would be running the asylum, okay? (laughs) There's nobody left, okay? We're all murderers. There's nuance to these things, and if we don't give them proper thought, we're going to define discipleship in an absurd way that is untenable and unlivable. It's not those things. It's not those things. We need to really explore what this actually means. And we need to understand, what does God mean that things proceed from the heart? And if they all come from the heart, how is it that some of us can stop those actions? I hated somebody the other day. Why did I not just murder them? How did I control that? And how do people in the world that are not redeemed control that? Because we don't understand what Jesus is talking about. But what he is saying is that if these actions happen, oh, they started somewhere. They started somewhere. And I can tell you that every action, good or bad, emanated from one's heart at some point. So it is an important thing to understand why discipleship is all about the renovation of this thing called our heart. Matters deeply. So the second question, we started talking about spiritual attitudes and characters. And Philippians 2, 5 through 8 says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Okay? And the question that I asked, I said, based on your personal, uh, based on your personal context, your life as a disciple, how do you have this attitude? Here's what I think, uh, first of all, the answers were amazing. But here is an answer, here's a piece of an answer that I think needs to be talked about. You know that Jesus lays down his God mode, right? Jesus is like, okay, I'll set that down, and I'll walk this thing, and I'll walk it the way you've walked it, so you can see exactly how I face temptation and struggle and stress, and how I overcome by trusting my Heavenly Father and by walking by faith. How many of you know that that's what Jesus does, okay? Lays down God mode, lays down his God card, he does it. How many of you in this room has a God card? Awesome, I was glad. Okay, so you don't get to lay that down, right? You're not omniscient and you just put it aside for a second, right? But here is what you can do when it comes to having the attitude of Christ, which ultimately is summed up in humility. When you lay down this this false attitude and you pick up the attitude of Christ, which is humility, it would mean something like, 
when you're in a setting with other Christians or with other people in the world, you don't walk around uh, acting like you own the cattle on a thousand hills. God does. You don't. God does, and you may through inheritance, but you don't walk around saying, you guys don't know what you're talking about. I'm a Christian. I'm amazing. I do everything right. You do everything wrong. Laying it down means literally coming under people and saying, why are we struggling with this? What do you need help with? How can I walk beside you? How can I help you overcome this? How can I point you to King Jesus? That's what we're called to do. Coming under and laying down our whatever it would be, our pedigree, maybe, would be to come under people with humility and say, listen, I'm not the guy who has all the answers, but I'll work with you to find it. I'll sit down with you and we'll, we'll dig until we get to the, to the bottom of this. That would be looking like Jesus, guys. Are you ready to be that kind of disciple? Because I'm telling you, certain denominations and certain people within those denominations won't budge an inch because you just happen to be a charismatic they won't budge an inch because you happen to be a Baptist. They won't budge an inch because, well, you happen to be a Catholic, and most likely you don't even know what Catholics believe. But we won't even budge on these things because we're like, I'm not coming under anybody. Well, that means you don't have the attitude of Christ. And I'm assuring you of something very important. You're not a disciple at that point. You're not looking anything like Jesus. You don't have, what Paul said to the Philippians, an attitude like that of Christ. Everybody good with what it means to be a disciple so far? It's pretty staggering, isn't it? It's not signing up and attending a church. That's good, but there's way more, and the nuance in these things matters. So question three, we talked about spiritual maturity. Matthew 28 says, teach them to obey all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So I asked the question, is this true? Or not, and why or why not? And Adam makes me so proud. He just, he just jumps up there and he goes, no. No, it doesn't mean we obey all of Scripture. Why? Why? You know you're not supposed to uh, eat shellfish, right? That's not true, but that was true at one point, right? You know, you're, you're not allowed to wear mixed cloth. Please keep your shirts on, right? But the point is, is that there's all kinds of weird things that we don't listen to. We don't follow. You know that the world excoriates Christians because they go, you guys are inconsistent, you don't obey everything, because somewhere along the line, we were taught that mature Christians obey everything in the Bible. That was not in the Bible. Isn't that crazy? We would have less arguments and less things to defend if we actually knew what we were talking about. That's what it means to be a disciple, too knowing what you're talking about, right? So this is really important. Matthew 28 says that we're to teach people to obey all that Christ commanded. How many of you know that being a disciple means actually obeying Jesus? How many of you don't like that rule? I'm gonna just keep my hand up, right? right? <laughs> obeying Jesus is not always fun. I'm, I swear it is not always fun. Like then, I didn't obey him by saying I swear. <laughs> anyway, right? But the, the point still remains that it's like we're, we're supposed to teach people to obey. We live in a modern world that says Christianity and therefore discipleship means you're saved by grace through faith and nothing is required of you, nothing is expected of you, and no effort is to be given. Hogwash, church. 
And you know what happens when you're a pastor like me and you go to people and you say, do you know what it means to really be a disciple? They look at me with that judgmental attitude I shared before and they say, you are a fuddy-duddy. You are a Pharisee. You're a works-based Christian. And what do I do? I laugh. I'm not joking. I usually piss people off. But anyway, I laugh because that's foolishness. I'm just a guy who actually has a right definition, or at least parts of one, right? It looks very different when we start to talk about what it means to be a disciple. So uh, the third question, or fourth question that I asked was based on 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit, and there are varieties of ministries, but the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Okay, what was the question? Spiritual gifts within discipleship are for the common good. What in the world does the common good mean? And then I asked everybody to justify their answers, and nobody actually justified their answer. But it was, that's fine, right? But here's the point, right? Here's the point. When we look at 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 7, and when we look at what it means to actually care for the body around us, I I suppose in this way they use the scripture to justify themselves. So if we look at what it means for the common good, we are focused in our lives about the building up of one another, the whole body. Do you know how much you can focus on yourself if you have to be concerned about the whole body? You can only be focused on the portion that you are, that little bit, not 100%, okay? So that means that if there are hands and feet and heads and all this other stuff, what should you be concerned about? You should be concerned about their good, right? In the modern church, we glorify three things. We glorify teachers. We glorify worship leaders, right? Pastors, worship leaders, and usually, and hear me, we glorify children's directors or youth directors, but we really don't glorify them. We just enslave them back in the back to where they can't do anything else, right? Okay? So that's basically what we do, right? Sorry, Jacob. Anyway, okay. So, so we do this. We do this. This is what we glorify it. And what we're doing is not the common good. We're, we're doing three goods. We're focused on three goods, not everything. The common good actually looks at everybody on every chair in every row and says, where are you at? What's going on? How do you need help? What does it mean for you to look like Jesus? Are you an introvert? Are you an extrovert? Are you this? Are you that? Let me think about you for more than five seconds because all I ever want to think about is me. Let me think about you and ask how I can help. That's what it means to be a disciple for the common good. And we look at it and just go, nah, I'm good. I'm getting to heaven. How many here get a ticket to heaven? Yay, check the box. It's not what discipleship is about. Fifth question, church involvement. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. Uh, and he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. There's the justification for the previous question. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith, common good, the unity of the faith, and the knowledge of the Son of God, common good, the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine. So much for the modern teaching that says just be childlike no it's fine for you to trust like a child but grow the heck up okay that's what we're called to do right I know I'm 
probably going to make somebody mad, but it's, it's okay. You'll, you'll bear with me. But, uh, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head. How many of you know that we live in a culture that we can't say anything that is construed as love when it has any measure of correction in it? That's part of discipleship. I have to be able to look you in the eye and say, Sterling, no. Right? Like, okay. I mean, right now, because she's acting up. Anyway, no. But it's like, I, you have to be able to do these things and not, and not make everybody run for the hills. How do you accomplish this? Relationship. You know how much easier it is for my dad to say, kid, you're missing the mark, than it is for a complete stranger to tell me that? It doesn't work for a stranger, but the one who has relationship with me, the one who knows me, the one who is close to me can look at me and say, why are you doing that? That requires us, the common good, it requires us be together, actually be a family, actually love one another. That's challenging. I don't want to love people sometimes, most of the time, all the time. Anyway, okay, so the point is we're supposed to do this. So he goes on, he says, for whom the whole body being fitted and held together, Jesus, uh, by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Okay? So, the question I ask, what is the end game of church involvement according to Ephesians 4? And how does this differ from the modern church? I think you guys can answer the question all by yourselves. I don't think you need some professional Christian or some guru to give you the answer to this. There is a vast difference between what we read in the Bible and what we see in the modern church. And here's how we fix it. Well, we change. Here's how we fix it. We stop being us. And we start being what God said we're supposed to be. I'll do this at the prompting. Uh, I'll do this at the prompting of Steph, but uh, it's fascinating. To be vulnerable is a hard thing for me. It's a hard thing for me because, well, I hate it. Anyway, so, so with people, with people, here is the, here is the easy go-to response with people. People have hurt me. Show of hands, how many have been hurt by people? Therefore, people suck. How many of you would amen me? Therefore, to hell with people. I know you guys are like, don't go that far, Nathan. Yes, I'm just going to go as far as you do in your car when I'm not watching, right? Okay, right? So come on, right? It, it is a challenge for me. And so there are many days, many times where I'm like, I don't want to do this. Many times. But you know what I'm called to do? Love anyway. You know what that means? Die to Nathan, because Nathan would like others to die, right? So it's really challenging at times. I don't always like people. As extroverted as I am, I've, I've grown accustomed to my dad's idea. I think maybe living in the mountains would be an awesome thing. So we were scoping out property in college. No, we weren't. <laughs> anyway, okay. So anyway, see what your vacation got you? Anyway, okay. So... Question six, scripture six, 2 Timothy 2.2 2 says, The things which have, you have heard from me 
in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others. And the question that we didn't get to last week was what aspects of mentoring do you see within this verse? How is discipleship different based on the call of a person, uh, on the call of the person being mentored, and especially with, in light of Matthew 28? Do you notice that Matthew 28 says that we're supposed to go into all the world and teach them to obey all that God has commanded? Guess who that call is to? Guess who that call is to? All y'all. All y'all. Everybody. Guess who 2 Timothy 2.2 has in view? Pastors and teachers. Please understand me. Paul is instructing Timothy to, listen, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is a a group of teachers that are called to be raised up for a purpose. That is an aspect of discipleship, which brings in a very important distinction. Discipleship is not equal across the board. Everyone will look like Jesus, but everyone is not a hand. Everyone is not a foot. Everyone is not an eye or an ear. Does that make sense? Okay? So it is really important for us to realize that God has actually given to the church people who can teach. That's a pretty powerful job. It's a humbling job, and it's a frustrating job all at the same time. Okay? But to everyone, he has given the call to teach people what Jesus commanded to obey. Every one of you. But you know what you're going to have to do in order to teach people what Jesus said to obey? Obey. Doesn't that suck? Anyway, so we're going to have to do that, and we're going to have to be real disciples. Not, I go to church, I go here, I go there. I hear this phrase a lot from people, and it's a real frustrating phrase. It's like, um, are you a Christian? And the answer is, yes, I go to church at, huh, you've missed my question. I asked if you're a Christian. The devil goes to church every week. He does, and he knows more than you do. (laughs) Sad, but it's true, right? So what's the point that we're getting at? What does it mean to be a Christian? It means to be a disciple. What does it mean to be a disciple? It means to live a life of worship. What what does it mean to live a life of worship? It means full obedience and submission to God. What does that mean? That's a big conversation. Are you an introvert? Are you an extrovert? Are you a mom? Are you a dad? Are you a leader? Are you a follower? What, What are you? Because to me, I'd rather spend my time with you, knowing you, and working with you to follow Jesus, the exact same way Jesus did with crazy Peter and John, whom he loved. These are vastly different people, and they walked very different lives in their Christian faith. I would much rather sit down with every individual person and talk to them about their following Jesus than to get up here, as I have done for so many years, and wrongfully, sadly, and said, this is what it looks like, blanket statement, across the board, all y'all do it this way, apart from things like, don't kill your neighbor, (laughs) right? That applies to all y'all, just in case you're wondering, right? So, so we are called to this big thing that is called discipleship, and it matters what we do, okay? So, how does this differ? Well, some people are called to special things. Some people are called to other things. It's all good. We need everybody. Here's how I wrap up today. 
And here's what I want you to be thinking of. I want you to think of factors that cause people to neglect becoming a disciple. The first one is this, distractions and cares of life. Materialism, wealth, those kinds of things. It's a very big nuanced thing. I am, I am not telling you in any way, shape, or form that you can't work hard for your business and raise a, uh, raise a good uh, situation for your family where you leave them with an inheritance. The very scripture itself says that a wise man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. And by the way, the purview of that was very much more than just a spiritual thing. We cop out and we say it's only spiritual and so we get lazy. You are to give your kids an inheritance. You are passing things down. Hopefully the paramount thing that you care about is their well-being spiritually, right? But listen, this was the call of people in the past. So it doesn't mean that you can't work for these things, but they are distractions in life. Why is that? Because sometimes you're going to have to make a decision for your business that would please Jesus, but won't make you as much money as you want to make. Well, that's dumb. I thought Jesus wanted me to make money. Well, no, not necessarily. He wants you to be ethical. He wants you to be good. He wants you to be faithful. He wants you to look like him. Where do you do that? Everywhere, right? So this matters. So cares of life make us not be disciples because what is a real disciple? It's not checking off the box that you go to church. It looks like Jesus in every way, shape, and form. Refusal to pay the cost. Refusal to pay the cost can be included in the previous one, but this is a factor of neglect to becoming a disciple because oftentimes we refuse to pay the cost that says, God has called me to look different from the rest of the world. I already look odd. I don't want to look more odd, but God has called me to look even more odd in this world. Are we willing to pay that cost? Are we willing to, I know this is a hard and very challenging subject that I'm about to share, but are we willing to cut ties, be on mission to people, but cut ties with unhealthy relationships and people? Be on mission to them, love them, pray for them, but not be influenced by them? Are we willing to pay that cost? Maybe. I, don't, I think this is challenging for us, but this is all part of it, right? How about uh, a lack of of the fear of the Lord. Such a weird subject to talk about. What does it mean to fear the Lord? Am I supposed to be scared all the time? Listen to Solomon's statement, right? He says, here's what life's all is. After I've pursued everything possible, every vain pursuit everywhere, here's what life's all is. Fear the Lord and keep his commandments. Fear God and obey. Is that easy? Does fearing the Lord sound awesome? Not unless you understand it. Just like becoming a disciple doesn't sound very awesome unless you understand it. Even then, it becomes challenging. Okay? Another factor, misunderstanding uh, heavenly rewards. 
people have followed Jesus for some golden ticket to a weird view of paradise that was created in some obscure time in human history that is not biblical. And so we have this idea that we're walking into clouds and harps and wings and halos and stupidity, right? We think that that's what we're supposed to be doing. But the problem is our reward is that God is pleased with faithful servants. Well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. I would take the Lord's well done over any amount of money in this world. That's going to come with a cost, though. Obviously, the wealth of this world. A disdain for discipline is another key one that is focused in our church today, in the world today. Disdain for discipline. And, uh, and that comes because of an abuse of improper church discipline. We want to define discipleship properly. We also have to define church discipline properly. We have to define discipline properly, which are all connected with discipleship, right? We have to define those properly because what we have done for so long is people say, I don't want to follow Jesus because Christians are jerks. I've been hurt in the church. Show of hands, how many of you have been hurt in the church? How many of you have been hurt in the church? Awesome. If we follow the modern world, we all leave and the church has even less numbers, right? But anywhere we go, it's going to bite because, well, we're there. So we can hurt other people and we get hurt by other people. We're still called to love anyway. So a disdain for discipline comes in and we can say it's because we've been abused and because we've been hurt, but we need to find a place where it is right and we need to accept discipline. Some people... Some people hate the church today because the church told them the truth. Doesn't that suck? That's a challenge. Number, number whatever I'm on. One, two, three, four, five. Number six. A belief in salvation. These are huge deterrents. Belief in salvation without discipleship. A belief in salvation without obedience. And a belief in salvation without works. Those are deterrents to becoming a disciple. Because people say, if you're doing any work, you're trying to earn your, your way to heaven. If you're obeying, it's still works-based salvation. If you're becoming a disciple, you, you don't even understand what that means today, so there's no point in trying. That is what you're called to do. Disciple. Look like Jesus. Obey what Jesus commanded. And do all of the works, all of those good things. He even says that if our works don't exceed that of the Pharisees, we're nothing. Our works are not earning us anything, guys, but our works are honoring to God. We are pleasing him by every time we obey and by every time we do what he says. You know how much of a proud moment it is when I tell my girls what to do and they actually follow through with it? I mean, it's like 2% of the time, but you know how rewarding that is? right? It's an absolutely amazing thing. I beam. I'm excited. It's amazing. I'm a human. Can you imagine how pleased the Lord is when he says, go and make disciples of all nations. Here's what a disciple is. And we do it. He's proud of us, church. He's proud. He sees well done. He sees good and faithful servants. That's what we're called to do. The last one is a belief in grace without effort. A belief, a belief in grace without effort. I have been given immense grace in my life. But in light of that grace, in light of the forgiveness I've been given, in light of the many things that I've been blessed with, much is expected of me. 
Much is expected of me. So when we talk as a church about what it means to be a disciple, the question that first has to be answered is, well, what in the world is a disciple? And then we have to ask the question, do I want to? Or do I want to keep playing the American church fairy tale and acting like I am one just because I checked the church box off? That's a question that you have to ask. And that's a question you have to answer. And if you come to the answer to that question and you say, Nathan, I need help. I am way off base on this. Let's sit down and talk. Let's begin a journey that actually matters because God has called you to it. Amen.